to help us in any time that we live, I believe, to know how that we should act in time of crisis and how we should be thoughtful of each other as well as be mindful of the great presence and the everlasting care of God. Because as we look at this book, we have discussed the predicament that happened and the prologue where that God and Satan had a discussion and how that God allowed Satan to touch Job and it was witnessed that Job was a righteous man, he was upright. There was none like him in the face of the earth, and uh, Satan was given the power and was allowed to touch him by taking away everything that he had. And then, when he still served God, he came back and had another meeting with God, and Satan said, yes, but let me touch his body, and he will lose his faith. He'll curse you. Uh, you have given him everything. You have pinched him in. You have not allowed uh, these things to happen to him, and uh, his integrity is on the line. He will give up his truth. He'll give up his faith if you will just allow me. Now, what we need to understand today is that if Satan did that then, and Peter said that he is as a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may desire, and that we ought to withstand him steadfastly in the faith. And if James, the Lord's brother, said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, and if he said in the third chapter, here's the way the heavenly wisdom thinks, and here's the way the devilish wisdom reacts, they were saying to us that we still need to be on guard. And when we look at those, when everything had been taken away, and, they, and Job was so affected, and he was when he was just in a in the suffering condition, we have his contemporary priests, three people who were contemporary with him, who were counselors, religious counselors, and they came to and they cried with him for a week and couldn't say anything because they were so sad. And it gives us an insight into how people can think when they're supposed to be helping people and drawing conclusions that are incorrect. Even though I think, as I've said before, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar thought, uh, when I think of what they said, and I didn't know the facts, I, I think I would say some of the same things that they said. Just because I'm human. But that's incorrect. And we can't see a person suffering, having lost everything he has, and know whether he's innocent or whether he's guilty. Just by looking at a person, you can't tell. So there's a great lesson there. 
And we went over the fact that, that uh, Eliphaz, the first one that spoke, was a person who said, Job, this is the way, uh, this is what has happened. And I'm going to tell you out of experience, I, I, I know that you, you have to be wrong. Bildad came up and said, well, now, tradition says this. And I know that, that tradition is right and what has happened. And so you're wrong. And both of them told him he's wrong. He was a big sinner. And then uh, Zophar, he was he, he was worse than they were. He he just said, well, here it's inferred. It's inferred from what this one said and what that one said that you're guilty. And the way you've reacted to them, you're guilty. And really, you're more guilty than they've said. <laughs> You really are, are, are receiving uh, a better treatment than you really deserve. Now that, that's very drastic. Now we haven't said much about Job, and we won't just concentrate on him for the next few minutes. Just, just to look at him, and we'll have one more lesson on the book because we want to conclude it next time with God speaking. And uh, we did mention Elif uh, Elihu the last time afterwards, and and he differed with the others, and he said they didn't they didn't answer Job. He didn't agree with them, and he was very angry at them, and he was angry uh, with Job. But he was more nearly like Job. Uh, he said, Job, I don't believe you're that guilty. I just believe that you need to understand that God is everywhere, and God knows things, and that God is trying to teach you something in this. So his, his was softer, and uh, didn't say anything about his. Uh, uh, and finally, at the end of his, we find God speaking out and saying what he said. But we want to concentrate on Job a little bit in just reflecting. Uh, we, want to, we ought to at least just look at him as a man and how he thought when he had these things uh, said unto him. He, uh, we see a man who was very truthful, and God said he was. He said he was righteous, he was above... Um, his even expectations. But we see a man, I want you to concentrate with me and sort of put yourself in his place so that we can develop some empathy and understanding uh, how to understand people a little bit better. Uh, he was stripped of everything that he had, all of his possessions. He was... Uh, uh, he, he, he didn't have anything left, all of his possessions. He was naked before uh, his maker. All of his wealth. Now, I don't know how much bank accounts you have, I don't know how many savings you have, I don't know what kind of retirement plan you have, I don't know what kind of possessions you have, but we all have to have just a little bit just to make ends meet. Now, let's just say that you don't have that you were stripped of everything. You don't even have enough to buy anything. You couldn't buy anything. I know that that would make us feel different. <clears throat> we all have something. But we can begin to see that if that's taken away from us, now, God didn't do that. Satan did. And he was a rich man. In a few hours, he, he was had plenty and then he was in poverty. Now, then he loses all of his children. There's not anything 
that I think it's more than losing our loved ones. I am from a large family of eleven children, eight boys and three girls. We, <clears throat> the father and the mother, and and uh, we have lost some of our family. And I know when we did, it was it was lost. But the the way we a cope with it was, of course, their faith and being a member of the body of Christ. But we have, you have to go through that when you have that. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know what it is to lose one of my children. I have three boys and, and one daughter. I have grandchildren. But I'm just sure if I lost any of those children and my three sons and my daughter, I would just be overwhelmed. Now, he had seven sons and three daughters. Uh, did you know, next he loses everything. He loses his good health. He could get up, you know, and he could go to work. He could manage all of his things. He could tell his servants to do this and this and this, but he lost all of those. And uh, his close kin, all of his people, turn against him. And he's not only being turned against by lost all of his relatives and his close people, but the people who knew him in the neighborhood is turned against him and don't even want to have anything to do with him. Now, there's one thing to think about that and say that, but when it happens to you, just imagine, you know, when anybody differs with me and they talk about me at my back or at my face, it hurts my feelings. And I have to watch it or I can have the wrong attitude toward that person. And I have to pray to God. That, that's not right for me to have wrong I don't care if, if, if they become an enemy. But it's difficult. Now, he is going through that where they turn against him. But not only his friends and people who knew him, but his, his, his wife that gave him ten children just turned against him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Now think about your wife telling you that, that you just need to turn loose of your faith and trust in the Creator and in your God and just curse him and die because you're, you're no good. Well, more than that, he still has three wise people who do the same work he does, been helping people, uh, been teaching people, been preaching the same sermons that he's been preaching, and uh, they come together and they want to comfort him. They want to comfort him. And they said, uh, cried with him, didn't say a word for a week, and then Job began to Cursed the day he died. And that made him angry. Their paranoia began to come to surface. And they began to think, Job, you're not that kind of person that I thought you was. And they just began to boil. Because he was saying, I'd have been better to have died when I was a baby. And that, that, that really turned them off. They, they began to change their 
And did you know they became his enemy, not his friend? Sympathy turns to censor, to ridicule, to correction. And instead of consoling him, they united three of them in condemning him. Every one of them was condemning him. Now, it's one thing to have somebody condemn you, but when all the people who come to support you condemn you, I'll tell you, that, that really hits you. No, Satan, he's been given a tool, and the tool is to take every, all of his riches away, and to then, then to plague him with cancer or sores or whatever it was. And now his work is over. But the friends become worse than Satan. Till Job cries out. He said, have pity, have pity on me, oh, ye my friend. He said, if, if a man ever needed help, he needs it when he's losing his faith. Besides all these external losses, there is terrible, a terrible condition in every man's soul when he's stripped, when he's stripped of all of his confidence in himself and in that God is with him and that God is helping him. And oh, you, you think he thought anything of himself? His self-worth was just down on zero. He said, naked I came in, and naked I go out. And he said, uh, he has given and he's taken away. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. But yet, you know, as time went on and they criticized him, he sort of lost his bona fide relationship with God. It was really great right there at first. He said, naked I came in, naked I'll go out. Um, he gave, he'll take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But you know, as they keep on talking, he, he, in, in, he, he, he just wonders if now the graciousness of the divine being and sovereignty isn't sort of mixed with bitterness and his burden is so difficult and he said god why have you set me as a target now he still moved somewhere out there but he was just about to lose his 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 great faith that he had in god but he seems to lose his conviction of the goodness and the divine government of God. Now, now, when that happens, I want you to understand that we may be a lot of people in the church going through that. And we may be taking the same stand that those three people did. We need to understand that a person that the devil can, he will tempt a person above that which you're able, but he will with the temptation provide all the way of escape, 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, that you may be able to endure. Earlier he said, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord, he told his wife, and no evil? 
Why well, he said, you speak like an a foolish person. And that was the early recognition. Now, all these. But then when he's under fire all the time, mentally and spiritually, and all of this clothing that he'd had from God, protection and, and, and serenity and stability and all that taken away from him, and he's constantly hit by these three men who are supposed to be filled with integrity and respect for God and know the answers and could counsel people. It just brings him down and there's just two people left. He doesn't have any respect for them. He calls them miserable comforters. And he said, no doubt, you know all the answers. And he says, no doubt, when you die, wisdom will now pass from the earth. Now, that's, that's ironic. He was saying like the opposite. You don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about. Because I know I'm innocent. But the both problems is God is left and his self is left. God is a problem because Job can neither understand him nor find him. Now, self is a problem because Job cannot escape from his suffering and his losses. They're just too obvious. Now, you know, each one of us, have, have, we have all come to this possible part. I don't know where you are, but you probably, in yourself, you've had a lot of losses. And a lot of time in your losses, you wonder where God is. Wonder if he's still there, if he's still the great person that performed all the miracles and takes care of people and is with them even to the end of the earth. Now, God himself, Job, was final certainties. He's dealing with this, and these fellows just seem to sort of exist out there, but he, he didn't pay much attention to them after uh, they spoke what then job must find god it has been truly observed that job's speeches in their deepest utterances are not so much an answer to eliphaz bildad and zophar as the wail of a desolate soul to god who cannot be found from a self which could not be escaped from and an anguish which could not be explained. For these heart-wrung cries and questions, I want you to uh, turn to the book of Job, please. Chapter 9, 2 and 3. These are just some of the answers that he gave to the men at different times. Chapter 9. Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? Now they had told him he's a big old sinner. That, and he said, I'm a sinner, I guess, in all his conclusion. But he said, I haven't done the things that you guys have said I did. If one wished to 
content with him, he could not answer him. One time out of a thousand. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him. Who has hardened himself against God and prospered? Now, he, he's going along with some of their things. Look at 32 and 33 in that same ninth chapter. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Now, you see where he's, he's dealing with him as a problem, he's dealing with God as a problem. Now, look at uh, uh, chapter 14, chapter 14 and verse 7 through 10. For there is hope. He said the trees are better off than man. For there is a tree, for uh, there is hope for a tree if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its tender shoots will not cease, though its roots may grow old in the earth, and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last, and where is he? Now look at uh, verses 14 and 15. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call, and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. He's still wrestling with God and with his trying to uh, put him in his right place. Look at 16, chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 18 through 21. O earth, do not cover my blood, and let my cry have no resting place. Surely even now my witness is in heaven, and my evidence is on high. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out, our out tears to God. Now, when you describe him, all of his losses, all of his losses, and all the ridicule he's had from his three friends, all of his self-worth has been demolished and just, and just completely done away. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God. He said, oh, somebody could, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. If somebody could just go plead for me. And yet, you people say that I'm a big sinner. As a man pleads for his neighbor, he just said it, he, he knew how to treat his neighbor, and he knew that he had, had treated him that way. Now look at 19, 23 through 7. All oh, that my words were written Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. 
whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Now, he's really wrestling to make sense out of all this. Now, let, let me tell you, in this 19th, uh, go to 23 right now, the, chapter 20, 23, 3 and 4. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Now let me tell you what the law was in Mesopotamia. The law was that you, uh, if you, in the language of the law was that if you had a person who was continually violating your rights as a citizen in Mesopotamia, that you could go to the judge and you could write out your complaint. But if you were innocent, that was good. But if you were guilty, it was the same as your death warrant. But if you were innocent and you could write it out and take it before the judge and you could prove that that, that, that complaint was certainly erroneous and was not true, then you could be delivered. Now this is what he has in mind in here. And uh, we need to go now to, to chapter 31, which concludes uh, th this in, in, in his, uh, and, and I want you to uh, read with me in 39, uh, the language here, uh, beginning, uh, this is what you call that uh, an oath of confidence in Mesopotamia. In other words, he's saying, Judge, uh, I'm innocent. And it's an oath of confidence. And if your uh, oath of confidence was so, and they judge took it and it was there, then you were released from that uh, harassment and the things that your neighbor was bringing against you it wasn't true. But if you weren't, you were put to death. Now he is so convinced that he's innocent. Till look at the chapter uh, 31. Look at chapter 31. He says, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a, a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? He said, I'm not going to, I'm not guilty of all these things. I know God looking and I know that I have, I'm willing to take it though before him. Now look at verse nine. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, look at verse 13. If I have despised the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they complained against me, see, look at verse 16. If I have kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widow to fail, so he's taking the context of Mesopotamia and their laws where that if there's a complaint brought against you, and you wrote it out, and you took it before the judge, and you said, this isn't so, he's willing to do that. 
He's willing to lay his life on the line. Look at verse 19. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothes or any man without covering and didn't help them, so he's answering all these men. He's saying, hey, I'm innocent. I'm innocent of those things. Look at verse 24. If I have made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence. In other words, his riches is what he had confidence rather than God. That isn't so. Now look at 29. 29. If I have rejoiced in the destruction of him who hated me, well, he said, I didn't even have the wrong thought toward my neighbor and the person who was my enemy. He was willing to bring that up. And look at verse 35. All that I had won to hear me, here is my mark. All that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Here shows his confidence of his innocence. He said, like a, a prince, I would approach him. Now, the wonderful thing is, is that he, he did, and he was innocent, and we know that he made a good defense of his position. Now, and this stripped naked soul really comes at the end of this time, and Elihu is the one that speaks last. And he, he silences old Job. He didn't say anything else. He, he said, Job, this may be just to try you. It may be to teach you a lesson. But just because he shut him up didn't mean he convinced him. You know, a person can be silenced and not be convinced. But what happened is that God appeared after Elihu spoke. And Elihu See, Eliphaz said, it's just what experience has taught me, you're guilty. Bildad said, tradition shows you're guilty. Uh, El, uh, so far said, why, necessary inference shows that you're, these guys are right, and you're worse than what they said. Elihu said, I don't agree with any of you. None of you have convinced me or convinced God that this man's guilty. And so he approached it from a viewpoint, uh, sort of like uh, Job. He got upset, and uh, he said some things sort of recklessly. But the things that he said was very true. Uh, and we see at the end of it <clears throat> that out of his speech, Elihu's uh, speech, that God comes in a whirlwind. And uh, <clears throat> Job is a sincere soul. Now. He gets a picture of himself, and he gets a picture of God when he appears to him uh, out of the whirlwind. We don't know exactly what happens, but we know next time we will study it. But he asked him so many questions, beginning with if he knew in the beginning how that he'd made all the planets and everything, and where the snow and the 
hail and everything came, all the animals and all those things. And when he just asked him those questions, you know what he did? He knew God was real. And uh, it was the overpowering uh, sense of infinite wisdom that just asked him a few questions, and it just it just stopped him. He said, "I guess." He, he said, I guess you, God was very comical, you know, it was, it was humor. He said, when, I mean, when the worlds were made and the ocean was cut off where it go and the sea and the snow and all these things, he said, I assure you were there. When all the animals were made, <laughs> you were there. And these big old animals, this one is, she's got fire, we think maybe it could have been one of those. He said he was made first, and, and he, he was as difficult to deal with as man is. He's sort of been difficult to deal with. And so it just, it just hit him, and he, he knew that God, he said that it's overpowering sense of wisdom and power and holiness and the goodness of God. Now, in a way, uh, you know, a person who's come to that understanding that God is real, uh, that he he just sees, he says, well, there's a purpose for this. His three friends' criticism and cutting him down and making him feel like he's nothing. But that didn't bother him. He went through that. And he, he was hard dealing with himself, and it, it was hard dealing with how God could make him a target and do this. But the answer is that God didn't answer any of that. The answer of Job is, I mean, the grill, the issues that are out there, does a person serve or not? Does he serve because he has all the riches and God blesses him? Why does man serve God? That's what Satan said. He said, oh, yeah, you said, he served him. Well, that's the old fleshly. That's the old temporal. And when, it didn't matter when he found out God was there. And God was there. He just wanted to know God was there. And you know the lesson out of this? That we all need, every one of us, has a lot of pent-up emotions and difficulties and unsolved problems. And we have a hard time dealing with people, whether it's the three friends of Job, or whether it's our relatives, or friends, or our sons, or our daughters, or our husband, or our wife, or just whoever, people on work or what. It, we have a hard time. But you know, the thing that helps us more than anything is to understand that this is man's plight dealing with the challenge of a man's faith in God. And that God has the answer. That is not what we serve God for. It's that we do serve God and that he's not a dead idol. That he's a live being. And that he can give us strength to pursue life and the objectives even though we're under fire. We just don't need to ever lose that. 
Doesn't matter what comes, you don't ever lose your respect and trust in God. If you don't have faith in Him, you can confess that now. He's given us a, 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 a Christ today, and one who made all the earth, and now He speaks to us through Christ. And He gives Him as a personal Savior when we accept Him, when we confess Him, when we allow Him into our life, and He says, I'll be with you always. You haven't accepted him, you believe him, you repent, you, you be immersed into him, you put him on, and you, you come on with him as we stand together and say.